Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 120, Can You Do Deep Cover? This week we're discussing series 8, episode 6 of Doctor Who, The Caretaker, and season 2, episode 8 of Angel, The Shroud of Ramon. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, so we're talking about Doctor Who, uh, the caretaker. Yeah. The, 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 not the doctor this week, but the caretaker. The caretaker, yes. It's more John Smith, but, I, you know, I, I was a little disappointed. Uh-huh. I know this isn't where we're going to start, okay. but when do I ever start where we're yeah, going to start? Yeah, now I'm curious where this is going. Um, I was a little disappointed uh-huh. because... Like, we've gotten some really wonderful episodes where, like, he's John Smith. Yes. And, like, this could have been another one. But then mm-hmm. it's like, I'm John Smith, but people just call me the doctor. Mm-hmm. With, like, no, like, reason why anyone would ever call him yeah, the doctor. Yeah, I mean, that line, <laughs> I agree, reads a little bit flat. Like, there's so, no reason for him to qualify that statement, you know. Um, right. Yeah, exactly. And and so it's like, like, I like, I I also like episodes where we've gotten like, you know, the architect or like, Mm -hmm. you know, the something that sort of either parallels or contrasts or whatever with the idea of the doctor. So you get this idea of the caretaker, Mm -hmm. which could potentially have that same sort of feel like, you know, he's the one who takes care of things. Right. He's the one who oversees things. He's the one who fixes things. Right. You know, and there's some of that, but it's all sort of implied. Mm. And, like, I feel like just doing that, you know, like saying I'm John Smith, I'm the caretaker, mm-hmm. would have been much better than saying, like, well, people call me the doctor. Right. Like, yeah. you know, like that. there, there could have just been a stronger sort of, yeah. uh, you know, whatever there um yeah sure you know not not a huge not a huge thing per se like i didn't sit there the whole episode necessarily like thinking about that right but sort of upon reflection the second time through it was kind of like you know that doesn't quite work and i just i wish they would have just committed to yeah the caretaker slash john smith yeah as like a character role yeah 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 um well you know especially with the idea of like the deep cover, yeah. you know, thing. And, right. you know, well, so and, I don't and know. because like, I do think there's a fair amount of meat there. Like in the sense that like, you're right in the, in the kind of subtext, at least it is about the doctor, the doctor's role as caretaker, like, you know, and especially, I feel like this is an interesting kind of thing to explore with this doctor because it is that thing of he doesn't necessarily do anything different than the other doctors. He he just isn't as uh, he doesn't go as much out of his way to be likable, you know, as some of the sure. others. So his actions are essentially maybe the same, but his sort of if 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 we're using the doctor analogy, he has like really terrible bedside manner. Like he's not a likable sort right. of he's a he's a prickly off putting kind of person which kind of like <laughs> you're strange enough putting. you're strange enough putting which kind of like 
begs the question of like, what is the role of a doctor or the role of a caretaker? Like, is it to make you feel better or is it to just tell you to kind of, you know, get out of the way so that he can get along with the job of like saving you, you know, and maybe he'll make you hate him in the process, but you'll get out of it alive, which is sort of what, um, I think it was Sai said in the last episode, like, oh, that's why you're the doctor is, you know, because of the clinical detachment to things. Like, that's why you call yourself doctor. And even even the name caretaker um, reminds me of in Into the Dalek when uh, he says, uh, Clara says, I'm his carer. And she said, and he's like, that's right. She's my carer. She cares. So I don't have to. So not carer in the sense of she takes care of me, but carer, she's my, my empathy machine so that I'll do the work and she can like do the kind of like less interesting business of like caring for people, you know, in a sense of like, you know, making them feel a certain way or making them feel kind of protected or whatever. So I do think kind of the title of the caretaker is an interesting kind of little uh, title for, you you know, so I'm with you. Like, I do think that last line kind of undercuts it a bit. And I do wish they would have, it would have been like infinitely better if they just cut that one line, you know, and even if the rest of it kind of stayed subtextual, you know, sure. I think that line does kind of deflate that idea a little bit yeah no i mean no doubt that if they had cut that line it would have been better i think i would have i think personally i would have liked to see even just a little more kind of going the other way to Mm -hmm. emphasize it even if the emphasis is sort of ironic or whatever sort of the way Mm because i hadn't i i hadn't really thought about it in that way that you were saying like with uh clara saying you know i'm the carer Mm -hmm. uh but that does totally work. And you could make that callback, mm-hmm. um, you know, subtly or not. Um, and you could also, uh, you know, you could also sort of even tie it into like her comment about being his conscience, you know, right? Uh, yeah. in the, in this episode. So, you know, I do think there are some ways where that could happen, and, you know, as opposed to like, well, I mean, granted, like in, in the family of blood and, and mm-hmm. you know, the two part of there. Yeah. Like he doesn't know that he's a time Lord. Mm-hmm. So like you get this whole nice story about him being John Smith, but yeah. there's like also from the storytelling perspective, they're committing to the character of yeah. John Smith, yeah. you know? And like in other times you, they're sort of, you know, the, the writers sort of like, I see this more as a yeah. writing problem than, than as an acting problem. Sure. I, you know, I think from the writer's perspective, it's, it's a, um, you know, they're committing more to this character of the doctor being someone other than he is, Mm -hmm. even though, even though it's, it's more like a facet, not like an entirely different person. It's like, you know, as a doctor, I'm also a caretaker because I take care of you Mm -hmm. and I, you know, am patient, but then also the, you know, the custodial sort of, Mm -hmm. uh, side of things as far as, um, you know, like the property manager and that sort of thing right, that you right. think of like as a school caretaker, you know, might be. So, um, you know, maybe maybe even I'm dwelling on it more than like it's even deserved because I, you know, it didn't make me dislike the episode mm-hmm. or anything. It just, I felt like that 
you know, just sort of from talking about the title, mentioning the title and, and sort of mentioning the idea of caretaker that it would have been a little bit nicer if that had been, you know, emphasized followed through more, on or yeah. emphasized. Yeah. yeah. A bit, a bit more than it was. So. Yeah. Anyway. Well, and so the one other time I can think that they've used that word caretaker was in, um, uh, what was that episode called? The, the, the Narnia one, the doctor, the widow and the wardrobe when, when he's sort of the uncle Diggory in the kind of empty house sure. with the kids and, and he's the care, he introduces himself as I'm the caretaker, like of the, of the estate and they call yes. they all call him caretaker. And I think yes. it's an interesting contrast because you see where the 11th doctor was more that caretaker in the sense of he made you feel cared for, like he, he dresses up the kids' rooms with like all the silly, like, you know, toys and makes them all crazy. And, you know, he gives them magical presents, which lead to sort of other worlds and all these sorts of things, right. you know, and maybe to a fault, maybe he's a bit not so good at the actually taking care of things. Like he kind of almost gets them killed in the process, but like, you know, so he's kind of one extreme. And then over here you have the 12th doctor who doesn't necessarily come across as all that caring, but is sort of doing the kind of custodial job of taking care of things, you know, and kind of like trying to make sure that people are like safe on a purely sort of physical level. Um, and that's not to say that he doesn't care because clearly he wouldn't go through all this trouble if he didn't care, but he's not as interested in sort of making himself sort of like, I think Capaldi has said that like he, this, this doctor's not interested in being popular. Like, so he's not necessarily doing sure. anything differently, but he, he's sort of just going to do what he's going to do and doesn't really care what you think of him in the process of that. And, and like, like, I understand that. But again, I think you can control that from a writing perspective. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm sure that's not, uh, I'm not saying that couldn't have been. I think it's all in there. I think, and I, to be honest, I kind of like that. Like, I, I, I think you could make that more explicit, but I mean, I kind of think it's, it's there anyway. So I don't know for me that I needed it to be that much more explicit. Um, but you know, I think, yeah. I think obviously I think there's so much of this episode is about the relationships between the three characters. I think there's probably more room for exploration just of the doctor's character on the zone than maybe we got sort of on this episode. Um, sure. But anyway, so anyway. Anywho, Anywho. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's talk about the situation a bit. Um, just, I don't, I was saying before we started that I, this is another one where I don't know that the monster itself yeah. is, is necessarily that big of a deal. Like we get, I mean, this isn't like a classic monster or anything. No, there's it's, it's nothing like myth a, mythologically significant about this. It's just like a generic yeah. sort of deadly robot who could kill everyone. Yeah. Uh, that he has to take care of. And that's fine. The Skovox, the Blitzer, mm -hmm. uh, I'll probably just call him Blitzer, um, <laughs> you know, going forward. But, uh, you know, we have this situation uh, where it's 
you know, this thing has sort of been hanging around, it appears like, in this, like, abandoned house mm -hmm. near a school. It was never bothered until, you know, one day this cop sort of hears something and shows up and goes in and mm -hmm. uncovers it somehow. So, like, we don't know how long it's been sitting around, but apparently it's been dormant a while until it kind of wakes up. And now it's become sort of a threat. Or is it? Because, like, it kills the cop. Right. And, like, it's just sitting there. So one of the one of the things that I was sort of thinking about with the situation is well and even even like before we find out all of that stuff we get like the doctor and Clara you know in these like succession of uh you know these different adventures yeah. and per perils and mm -hmm. whatever and sort of you get the sense of like you know Clara who's like almost like moonlighting and, and leading sure. like a second a life. life yeah. where, Which, where, where, where have she... we seen that before? Clara with her double lives, you know, like she waitresses and moonlights as a nanny, you know, that's kind of her, seems sure. to be a little theme. Well, and, and also the fact that like, she's sort of questioning her ability to do it and then deciding, no, I can, I can do yeah. it. Like, so there's, you know, it is, like even if even if we realize that she can keep up with that pace, mm -hmm. um, just the simple fact that she's questioning whether she can keep up with the pace shows that it is having an effect on her. Mm -hmm. Like there's something noticeable in the way that she's acting and and reacting to sort of having these adventures on the side, as it were. Um, and certainly, you know. Danny is noticing that like you know yeah. she's she's maybe tired or not quite ready you know or right. late for dates or right. you know coming Distracted coming in sopping sopping wet with seaweed in her hair right. Right. like like you know these sorts of uh you know things that you know always sort of happen when when someone's doing like when someone who you're close to or becoming close to mm -hmm. is sort of doing extracurricular activities <laughs> uh and and there's always sort of this you know little things that you notice like oh you know you are late and like before maybe you weren't late mm -hmm. and you know um you've started not quite having things as together as maybe you used to or you know just like even the suspicions that he gives, like, you know, when she's, um, when they first come out of the meeting where they meet, you know, the new caretaker and she's like, oh, you know, left some marking in the room and, yeah. you know, whatever, whoa, whoa, pop, pop, you know, yeah. and she, like, uh, you know, runs off. And it's like, like, he's been noticing that she's sort yeah. of always on the go and running off. And she has a frown that right. lets him know before she says that you know she's going to be canceling right. the evening's plans or whatever so you know just all these little things but and maybe like maybe his only hesitance is that like they haven't known each other that long mm -hmm. but even like like it seems like he notices that this is not the way clara normally acts whatever that way right. is um it's not the way that she would normally act so uh, yeah, because I think we have got that emphasis as her of her as somebody who is very well put together, very in control, you know, like right. sort of, you know, uh, 
order and, you know, and to be sort of in charge of, you know, we had her kind of, you know, when Matt Smith says fly away with me, she says, no, come back tomorrow. Like this is somebody who is very deliberate in the way that she sort of arranges her life. She's not this kind of, you know, maybe naturally impulsive kind of. So like, I think it is a big shift to have her suddenly be this sort of noticeably kind of frantic and sort of mm. frazzled and maybe not to the point that she's not enjoying herself, but to the point where right. I think it you can see like the strain starting to show, like whether she is reassuring herself that she can do it or like neglecting her relationship with Danny a bit. Like, like you said, the fact that he can see when she's going to cancel before she even cancels, you know, like there's right. a look on her face, which can't make him feel all that great. You know, that's not great for their sort of relationship. And I think you can see the kind of strain on her work life too. Like, you know, the way she sort of, you know, blows off her coworkers and her students, like, you know, mm -hmm. students are saying like asking for help and she's saying, yeah, whatever, do whatever you want. Like, right, you know, right. and, and hardly listening to her boss when he's talking to her, like she's becoming so sort of, you know, scattered that she's finding it, you know, as much as she says she can do it all and she has it all under control. It's not necessarily looking that way to other people, I think, or to the audience. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think so. Um, we've kind of gone way off yeah. course because like, <laughs> like I wanted to start talking about the doctor, but now we're talking about like Clara and sure. like, I know this is all tied to the situation, yeah, yeah, yeah. but, but like, um, I think like thinking about the situation, then it, you know, goes back to we have this monster or this robot that, okay, kind of wakes up momentarily and kills this cop, but like, mm -hmm. it doesn't seem to move. So mm -hmm. amidst all of this, you know, the doctor and Clara, you know, and they're adventuring, the doctor suddenly decides, nope, Clara, you can't come with me. Mm -hmm. I'm going off to do my own thing now. But going off to do your own thing means going to where she is. Right. And facing this robot that has been dormant all these years. So, like, why now? Why mm -hmm. there? Why that particular time? Um, and not that I think, not that I'm saying, like, he's necessarily uh, just looking for trouble. Mm -hmm. But he kind of is necessarily <laughs> looking for <laughs> yeah. trouble in a way. Yeah. Because because it just it just doesn't make sense as to complete sense as to why he picks that particular time and place. Other than that, it's just there's something about the relationship that he's having with Clara mm -hmm. that he that he's feeling as well, just like Danny Pink is feeling on mm -hmm. the other end. And maybe we don't quite see it in the same way right. because we're just seeing like snippets of their adventures here and there. But we do see it sort of at the end of the previous episode of like, you know, beat that for a date, right, you know, right. doing the bank heist. So, so there is this sense of like, maybe there's a little bit of 
spying going on of like spying hmm, what's your gel- yeah what is your like, your other life like and here's a good excuse yeah. to go check it out yeah spying and jealousy you know and maybe not putting it quite in those terms but yeah just that sense of like all right there is some there's more to you than what i know about mm-hmm. and i want to know more and so of course that's exactly what danny says too right you know right. later in the episode of you know, well, I want to know you, not just you. I want to know the other you, the you that you're with the doctor. And yeah. Clara, you know, is trying to convince him I'm the same. Yeah. But of course, she's not the same. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't be. They're different people. You can't be exactly yeah. the same because everybody reacts to different people differently. Like, you just, that's not to say you're lying or being a different person or whatever. It's just that, you know, having, having, milk with cereal is different than having you know milk with oreos Mm -hmm. they're just different things Mm -hmm. like that's just the way it is um and so of course you know adding into the fact that then you know when we see like the two of them uh danny and the doctor together with clara there that also becomes like a different like that's different right that's like a third of them alone like this is you know, so so anyway, like there's there's this there is this parallel, I guess, and is what I'm all sort of coming the long way around and getting to. Yeah. That there is this parallel between, you know, sort of the doctor and his desire to see Clara sort of in her element, even though it's sort of under the uh aegis of, you know, defeating this blitzer thing and sending it way off into the future. Yeah. Uh you know, just like when the doctor shows up, there's this sort of penchant for Danny to sort of follow him mm-hmm. and, you know, get this idea of, um, you know, what he's about and what he's doing. And, and the suspicion right from the beginning that yeah, there there's something, some sort of connection between Claire and the doctor that he doesn't quite know about, but starts piecing mm-hmm together almost immediately Mm -hmm. you know oh did he wink at you no no it was just like a general wink. right right you know like to the whole room well yeah yeah. i saw him wink and it was in your direction yeah you know just a general welcoming wink (laughs) um so yeah so anyway like uh i i i mean i don't know if we need to keep saying more about the situation per se but Mm -hmm. i just want i did want to at least sort of point out that like like in, on, on the one hand, there isn't really a reason or a threat for him to be there, but I mean, there kind of is. Mm-hmm. But again, it's like he could go there any time. Like he could go there, perhaps in fifty years, and yeah. like the 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 robot would, for all we know, still be there. Right. Or he could go back ten years to you know before Clara started working there, right. and take care of it, you know, at an earlier date. But it's obvious. It seems to me that just simply by the choice of, you know, him uh, going at this particular time that what he's really going to do is sort of see what Clara's like mm-hmm. and, and be the quote, invisible guy in the TARDIS, right. you know, watching her. Um, so yeah, anyway, definitely. Uh, so on that note, yes. <laughs> I mean, we'll, t- we'll keep talking about the doctor. Cause like, you know, the things that he does, of course, you know, so he goes under what he calls deep cover. Mm-hmm. Um, we already sort of talked about how deep it is, considering he doesn't really keep he, the name he, John Smith exactly. or the, the, the caretaker. 
Um, and and uh, I, I love the idea that like he criticizes Clara for having two jackets earlier. Yeah. But then what does he do? Like his deep cover is to put on a different jacket. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like you know that's the thing. you put on a new coat and you saw right through it. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know <laughs> that's apparently this, this impenetrable layer. Yeah. Th- this disguise. Um, and it's and just the fact that he thinks of that after having criticized her for having you know why why would you have two different jackets like yeah that you know is one of them faulty like <laughs> like that's the only that's the only possible reason you might have more than one jacket is one of them doesn't work right yeah now. yeah uh, well and coming from the doctor who usually has like one outfit at any given time you know like he literally like has like a costume that he sort of you know, right. uh, you know, has chosen for a particular, you know, incarnation and sort of doesn't really vary out of that much. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and the, and the little riff too about he, he lived among otters and you kind of get this image of like him, he, he and River had a fight and he sulked apparently among otters. Human beings are not otters. Exactly. It'll be even easier. So like, you know, there's, she means right. that in that we are more complex and uh, he doesn't quite see it that way. Yeah. Um, and you kind of get this like, you know, playful little disregard for humanity too. Like, just like in the first episode, he's calling everyone like putting brains, like in here you have like, you know, you know, he's kind of talking about how he's, you know, undercover with people still in the room and they're not even like listening and paying attention, you know, like he's just sort of like, yeah, you know, I'm talking about nobody's noticing. Everybody is just going on to their little lives and, you know, um, you know, nobody's sort of picks up on it. And I think that is interesting too, the way that like, he doesn't really try that hard to be under deep cover. Like you said, like he uses the name, the doctor, he does all the same kind of weird stuff that he normally does, but nobody really does. Maybe apart from Danny, who is a little sharper than, you know, a lot of the others, but like, there is that kind of, you know, you know, if you put a police box in the middle of the street, what do most people do? Walk by it. You know, like Clara's her kind of, she has this kind of overreaction to him showing up. Like she totally overcompensates, like lying about what's going on and covering for him and like, you know, making excuses to get away so that she can like watch what he's doing and, you know, all these sorts of things when for the most part, nobody notices anything, you know? Um, You know, like even her, when he kind of is correcting her notes about Jane Austen, you know, she kind of goes on that rant about, oh, you were best friends and you all like were in a band with Buddy Holly. Like, how do you know all this stuff? And he just just like, well, I read the autobiography or I read the biography and it said these things like, you know, she kind of has this assumption that he's going to bring, you know, this whole life of hers sort of crashing down um, when really it. it it seems like it's likely to come crashing down because of how she's reacting to the situation more than anything. Um, Sure. You know, the kind of lengths she goes to keep these worlds separate are may is maybe the most dangerous aspect of this whole thing, you know, whereas like you kind of get the sense of if she did just relax a bit, if she would maybe trust Danny with 
this other aspect of herself. Maybe a lot of the, you know, maybe not so much with the doctor, but like at least some of the tension and the kind of explosion of this episode could have been kind of diffused a little bit. You know, she has this notion that it's almost like a self-fulfilling thing of like, she's going to, she's so sure this is going to be a disaster that of course it's a disaster, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, that I, I think that's, that's another one of those things of like, you know, what, what is Clara's sort of impetus here? Like we know why the doctor, uh, you know, doesn't, we, we know why she doesn't want to tell the doctor about Danny mm -hmm. because of his sort of dislike of soldiers mm -hmm. and all of that. Like, even if that's not like a hundred percent conscious on her part, like that we've heard him rail enough about soldiers yeah. and we've, we've even seen sort of Clara's, you know, sort of awkward right. and, and whatever comments about soldiers. So like we can sort of understand her embarrassment, maybe, maybe that's not quite the right word mm -hmm. Her you know, hesitance to, um, you know, discuss that with the doctor, but like, it's not, like, and maybe, maybe it's the same thing. Like, maybe she's afraid that if she tells Danny that then the doctor will know about him because he'll want to meet him and stuff like mm -hmm. that. So maybe, like, it's still just another, like, half of that uh, particular, you know, equation or whatever. But, yeah. um, you know, the other, you know, the other thing is, like, like, she's, she's clearly keeping the doctor from Danny for like separate reasons as well. Mm -hmm. Um uh you know, I think the the idea of well even I I guess the idea that we get later from Danny sort of saying like what is it, what do you think about me mm -hmm. that you wouldn't tell me this kind of like you know Clara declares her love for Danny and yeah. it's one of those like you know big pressure, you know, like I'm in the middle of this heated discussion and yeah. she just blurts out because I love him, right. you know, and, and like, those are fun, I guess, you know, and whatever, like, that's fine. But like, like it, you don't get the sense that like, like she doesn't take it back. Right. Right. Like you, you get the sense that that's a genuine feeling at that moment. Right. Not like you tricked me into it or whatever. Right. Like there are, you know, stories where that sort of thing, I was like, Oh, sure. well, I was just kidding. Or I didn't really mean it. Like she doesn't do that. Yeah. So I think, you know, for part of it is, you know, is that she, um, like, I mean, part of it is I feel like she thinks that it, one of, one of the two things will disappear. Mm -hmm. If like, you know, the doctor knows about Danny or vice versa, like it's only a matter of time before they both know about each other. Yeah. And then one of them will go away. And I think that, I, I think that's actually a driving fear of why a lot of people, mm -hmm why a lot of people like lie or hide things from yeah. people they otherwise love or trust or whatever. Like, I, I feel like that's a fairly common human right. motivating factor. Um, even when it's not necessary, um, it might seem necessary in, in that way uh, just because you don't know. It's that fear. It's the fear of not knowing what's going to happen. That's, that sort of drives that. So yeah. I think, I think, you know, um, you know, again, going back to like, you know, Danny sort of asking, well, what, what is it that you think about me? I mean, on the one hand, 
like I don't necessarily think that she's like trying to say like I don't trust you, mm. but that is kind of like what she's saying, and I think right. that's kind of like what he's trying to point out. That's is how like, he's taking it. You, yeah, you you clearly don't trust me if you're not willing to tell me about this whole other part of your life right. that's obviously very important to you, and that offers you something that I can't give you, mm-hmm. or at least that I don't even know that you want or desire right. because you haven't told me about it. Right, and so like, like I just think that. It's it's definitely a uh, you know an aspect that she has to sort of work through, and of course you know I mean it's a show, so of mm-hmm. course it all comes to a head in sort of sure. you know the worst possible way for her to right. build that tension and stuff. Um, but right. but it you know I think those are the motivating factors, and I think that that from her life, uh, you know, or her perspective, like that's that's sort of the crux of this. Uh, episode I guess um, yeah I feel like right well and and I mean I don't I certainly I think like um you know I don't think the the story uh vilifies Danny in any way but you have had those I I I actually sorry I just want to jump in because I actually think he acts really admirably in most of 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 sure. you know, what he finds out and and the way that like yeah you know I certainly and and like I've I've think I've liked Danny more than like say Mickey well I so I, I want to <laughs> let me finish what I was about to say but sorry, then I I want to come back to that idea um so thing one if I can remember is I don't think the show vilifies Danny at all but also I mean there have been just the one or two references in the past about um, like things like, you know, I don't do weird and, and just his notion of kind of when Clara has been, you know, kind of uh, mysterious and distracted and kind of like acting strangely and knowing weird things, you've seen his, his kind of, negative reaction and pulling back to that. And so I think there's a little bit of groundwork there for why Clara might be sort of afraid of these things to begin with. Like maybe she just would have been anyway, but like, I think also there's a kind of like, you know, there's a little bit of hinting there of why she might want to sort of keep this sort of, you know, a little covered up from him, you know, she's afraid of how, you know, if she's afraid of how he'll react, there's a, something of precedent there, even though, you know, sure. it's, it's, it's an overreaction. It's not necessarily, uh, you know, fair in terms of what she should expect from him, you know, like he has earned more trust than probably she's showing. Um, but there's enough there that it, it, it's not all just the doctor that doesn't like soldiers. It's also Danny doesn't like weird things. So there's kind of on both sides, this sense of disapproval of what the other sort of stands sure. for. Um, and so, well, and that, you know, and that's, you know, you, you get that from sort of the military. Well, aspect, yeah, right? definitely like, once like, they meet, there's the, even more disapproval. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. I mean, even just from like, sort of the idea of military of like you know that it's orderly it's not like right. you don't you don't think of like military people going in and handling you know uh 
uh, weird situations well. Right. It's like they want things clean, clear cut. Yeah. You know, give me my orders, I execute them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in a whatever way that means. Yeah. And and that's it. Like it's very nice and tidy and you know tied up in a bun. Yes. And a bow. <laughs> in a bun. Uh. Yeah. So yeah. 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 Um. Okay. So the thing I did want to bring up, Danny, as kind of like, um. I think very different and I was thinking about it as maybe even kind of the opposite of like some of the previous boyfriends we've seen like Mickey and Rory, you know, as even though I think Mickey and Rory are different from each other, I'm not saying they, you know, were the same character, but there was the sense there of these were the kind of bumbling boyfriends who kind of like, you know, were a bit, you know, at least at first, before they kind of rise to the occasion, look a little, you know, uh, pale in comparison to the magnificence that is the doctor. You know, you kind of have like, you know, this sense of the doctor swooping in and sort of, you know, offering, you know, Rose or, or Amy, you know, an excitement, you know, and a kind of like, just basic competence that like Mickey and Rory don't necessarily seem to offer, you know, um, you know, and their sure. stories go in different directions from there. Like, you know, I think in Mickey's case, he kind of rises from that situation and then, but it's sort of, he has to go off and find his own place and not just sort of latch on to Rose's sort of journey. And then for Rory, it's about her and him and Amy really like, growing and appreciating each other so that they end up choosing each other rather than the doctor. And it seems to me that like, in some ways, Danny's kind of the opposite of that. Like he is the opposite of sort of bumbling, you know, like this is the guy who really, this is the boyfriend who really could give the doctor the run for his money. Like really Mm -hmm. has it together. Like just in terms of like, you know, like you said, like he, he handles himself very well. He is sort of, competent he's confident you know he sort of he knows what he wants he's mature he's all these things and you know and whereas they were kind of like a little out of the doctor's league but then kind of had to sort of like get involved in the doctor's life in order to sort of grow you kind of get the sense that like maybe Danny doesn't really need that and he's maybe not all that interested in it either like Maybe if they met under different circumstances, he could have, you know, become kind of interested in traveling like Clara does. But I don't even know that that's true. Like, I could see him kind of going, no, okay. You know, like, it, it doesn't necessarily, you know, apart from the kind of shock of learning about the space stuff, he's not all that impressed, you know, um, like, even the way I think it's significant that when they show him the TARDIS for the first time, he kind of peeks his head inside, but he doesn't even really go in. It's sort of this, like, all right, I'm going to check it out. But he maintains this sort of distance the whole time. Mm. So, you know, I think it's interesting. Like, it, I think that's kind of refreshing after, like, you know, it, you know, it, I think it would be really easy to do the same kind of boyfriend for the companions over and over because it usually is like a a 
female lead and you if you want her to have a boyfriend he has to be this sort of third wheel um and it, i think this makes for a slightly different dynamic of you know mm. maybe the doctor is a bit of the third wheel in this relationship or at least could be you know right, um right. or at least clara has a bit more it's a bit easier to see what danny might offer her in this situation you know he's someone who is a bit more firm about who he is and what he offers. Like, and he even says like, you know, I mean, you think of like Mickey clinging to Rose's leg in the first episode, like terrified of the doctor and saying like, don't leave me. And here you have Danny saying, here are my terms and I care about you. And if you violate, you know, our trust, we're done. You know, and it's like, you can't yeah. really see Mickey doing that. Like, yeah. under any circumstances really i mean rory maybe kind of grows into that sort of you know self-worth but certainly not in the beginning you know and and it right. seems like he and amy have a, a different relationship whereas this is a totally different sort of guy i think and and to be fair like rory is i mean i feel like rory is sort of retcon <laughs> you know in a in a in a few ways like mm. not maybe retconned isn't quite the word but like uh -huh. definitely you know the rory we see at the beginning like even though there's obviously you know they're getting married yeah like, the depth of their relationship like you don't get the sense of like you know rory and amy in the tardis with the doctor you know from episode one where we see amy like no you get absolutely that, you no know, and that, i think that's that comes later that comes very yeah. much later so if he ever gets to that sort of point of kind of self pride it's a very gradual like that's his character right. arc you know right. is to sort of get to the point where amy can unequivocally choose him over the doctor and do it happily and without hesitation, you know, whereas Danny's already there, you know, and, and he doesn't need Clara to sort of, he loves Clara and he cares about her, but he doesn't sort of seem to kind of need her for validation in the same way. And he sort of is more willing to say, you know, in that kind of way, I know what I want and I need and you have to kind of meet me too. It can't all just be like a, a one way right. sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I think, which I think just again, for the, in, in the way of telling new stories, I think, you know, this character makes for a different dynamic than what we've seen in the new show so far, I think. Mm -hmm. No, I, I definitely agree. I think in many ways, yeah, like we, you know, all of, all of the sort of partners of the companion, mm -hmm. the, the companion's companions, yes. you know, um, yeah, I think in a way, all of the ones that we've seen so far have been, like you said, sort of like they're, they're sort of like, well, I mean, Mickey and Rory kind of being the two main ones, I guess, yeah. would be just kind of like, they don't have it together. But even thinking of, like, Martha's family, mm -hmm. like, you know, like, they're not particularly, um, you know, I mean, Donna, like, her mom isn't, like, exactly, like, supportive. Her, right. you know, uh, 
betrothed is a lying, right, right. you know, jerk. Uh, you know, and, and like, so even the ones we don't know kind of as well, mm-hmm. um, you know, Wilf would be the exception right, to that rule. Right. He's just kind of like the old guy who, but again, like he's, he's another afterthought. Like he comes along later, you know what I mean? Right. So like. Um, and he's very much in favor of the doc. He's very much a, another right. doctor fan, you know. Right, and he's almost like a a uh, companion from the first time himself, him, right. himself, yeah. right? Yeah, um, like very on, on much in his side. own right, even apart from. Yeah, it, he's not dependent on Donna in that way. Um, um, so I think I think not that like I think Clara is like a basket case or anything, no. but like. Um, I think this might be the first example we have where like the companion's partner <laughs> um, is, is sort of much more together than the companion. It's right. like, right. you know, he has it going, you know, the way that he's doing. And so I, you know, I don't know anything about their arc at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, other than the few episodes I've seen with Danny, but uh, <clears throat> you know, I could see it being where like, you know, his influence on her is more of that stabilizing influence mm. that sort of seems to be the reverse in other partners of the companion that we have seen yeah. in the past. Yeah. Um, I feel like that that's a very clunky way of saying what I'm trying to get out, but um, <laughs> I, I do feel like there's definitely a, a, there's that different dynamic. And even, even just in like, the conversation that they have now this might be you know again it's just sort of his i mean he's a math uh teacher Mm -hmm. so this might just be his logical brain working things out it just might it might be the sort of military facade that he puts on Mm -hmm. because you know it's what he's been trained to do like yeah you know don't don't react to uh you know things you don't understand like process them or whatever and and but so like i mean it could have multiple you know sort of reasons or you know behind his personality but he kind of takes it all in stride Mm -hmm. like you can tell he's working through it like it's not like he's surprised certainly but but like even like the you know like okay they go back to his apartment and he's like okay so (laughs) there's this doctor who kind of used to look like adrian and now he looks like an old man and there's things going on and like his questions are very much and every now and then you you elope with him (laughs) right every now and then you elope with it like like this is his like okay i'm boiling it down to it's like essential variables yeah and then i can calculate what that means and you know um definitely has this you know sense of uh you know he's he's processing it but he's like he's intelligent and i i think that's the other thing is like one of the things I like about it is like, it does sort of, I don't know if it's necessarily mocking itself Mm -hmm. a little bit maybe, but like, it's definitely sort of turning, you know, its own Dr. Who-ness on itself. Mm -hmm. And, and, in that, you know, we, we've talked about, you know, even like going back to like our early days of our podcast where we talked about like levels of knowledge and how much insight people have into the world. Like, like he even says like, you know, how stupid do you think I am? Right. Like, I know that I saw this weird thing going on. I know that I put these things together. You know, pulling out strange electronic things that look like they could be bombs, right. you know, <laughs> right. from the school and investigating that is 
is not as as stupid as like the doctor makes it sound like this right. isn't like Mickey, you know, the idiot being, right. you know, uh, an idiot, right, right. <laughs> basically like this is this is actually some pretty logical stuff that he's working through yeah. and, and very smart, you know, reactions to what are essentially bizarre, you know, experiences. So there's no reason, you know, there's no reason to think like that he's stupid or whatever, but like Clara kind of treats him like mm-hmm. Clara kind of treats him in that way that like we come to expect the doctor and the companion treating sort of, you know, right. hum- stupid humans who aren't in the know right. uh, about things. And it's like, well, he actually isn't stupid. So like, let's, let's, you know, yeah, let him work this through and, and let's let him, you know, let's actually tell him what's going on. Treat him and, with and, some respect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and it mirrors in the beginning when the doctor sort of won't say what he's doing. And it's kind of like obvious the kind of thing he's doing, but he won't talk. And Clara's saying like, you're making the mistake of clever people, which is assuming that other people are stupid. And then you kind of get that thrown back at her later of Danny says the same thing of, you know, you're acting like you think I'm stupid. And, you know, like, and it is kind of, when you think about the, not just the doctor ridiculing him for what is actually pretty sensible behavior, but also Clara's sort of, even after he's already seen all this stuff, the the convoluted lies that she insists on telling about, you know, it's a play and it's special effects and he's a kid dressed up, you know, and like, mm. like no, no, you know, sane person, you know, adult would believe this and certainly not someone of Danny's level of intelligence, you know, but right. so at that point, it's, it's just sort of insulting, but it's that thing of, you know, well, two things. It's it, it's her kind of getting caught in her own lies. And then what's the only way to get out of it? Lie some more and dig your hole even deeper, you know, but it's also her making that like, I think she's another clever person who assumes that her lies are a lot more clever than they really are. You know, that she's not as mysterious as, you know, she might think that she is. And it's not just the doctor who is like bad at the deep cover kind of thing. Like, you know, she is maybe a little bit more transparent than that. Um, So yeah, you kind of see her and that's that. I mean, I feel like every time you have a companion who's around for a while, like, you know, for a season or two, you do get to see that kind of increased doctorness of their behavior. Like, you know, with the lying and with the the kind of you know mystery and planning and cleverness and manipulation and all those things like that kind of influence of starting to sort of rub off on her a little bit um yeah and some and you know a little bit of that arrogance of how she's treating other people and and their level of awareness and intelligence i think sure and which is interesting because she's still of course, sees herself as the doctor's conscience. Right. So, so like, like, is she starting to lose her own sense mm. in a way of conscience, you know, by the very fact that she is doing that sort of manipulative thing with Danny, right. who she professes to love. Right. And, and, you know, how much of that is sort of her, like you said, taking on the doctor, 
ishness, uh, you know, well, because she's and and I been saw with him for a while. Yeah, I saw someone point out this line recently that like when he asks her, "Why do you do it?" Her answer isn't, you know, well because he needs a conscience or because like I can help him help people. Her answer is because it's amazing and I see wonders. So again, right. I don't I don't think this show ever criticizes the companions for their their that capacity for wonder i think that's something that we're supposed to value and and it's certainly not a a a bad thing inherently but even just that emphasis on what does it do for me not not the kind of standard companion thing of of I, you know, what do I bring to it? What, how do I help the doctor or help people? You know, which is more, I think, the kind of traditional understanding of what the companion's role is. Um, well, and and we get the sense that even that attitude is doctorish because yeah. that's that's what we've heard from the doctor himself is why he goes out you know, like, you know, why do I do what I do? It's so that I can see wonders. Yes. I help people too. And yes, I do this other stuff, but that's not even his main motivation. His main motivation is to go see things that otherwise could not be seen. Mm -hmm. And, and so almost in a way it's self uh, selecting, Mm -hmm. you know, to even find, I mean, people who don't care about seeing wonders aren't going to go with the doctor because they don't care about seeing wonders. Like, you know, why, why would you do that? Like, um, you don't get the sense that Courtney is going to be a stable companion (laughs) because she can't even like enjoy the view without throwing up, you know, she's getting sort of, now I, I mean, maybe I'm not making that a prediction because I don't know if like maybe later down the road, Courtney does take another trip. I'm not, that's not predictive, but I'm just saying like, you can imagine like there are plenty of people who just wouldn't, they would feel so out of sorts or so Mm. weirded out by, uh, you know, even being in something that's bigger on the inside or, or, you know, being in space and experiencing that, you know, you know, they're like, it's basically like the looking into the abyss and the abyss is looking right, back at them right. kind of thing, you know, or uh, like what, what Jane says, you know, uh, in Firefly where he goes, I've been to the edge of space. It just looks like more space. Like, right, you know, there's, right. you know, that, that you don't get like Jane's not the kind of guy who's going to be like, you know, wondered at traveling with the doctor. He's like, yeah, right. I've been there, done that, you know? Right. So like, like there, there's these different um, just personalities and like, the personality of the companion, you know, is someone who's already sort of predisposed mm-hmm. to be sort of doctorish because they, you know, by the very fact that they're a companion, they enjoy going out and doing the things yeah. that the doctor does, which is to see wonders, to see, you know, these. And and sometimes that has to be developed a bit, you know, like with Donna. Right. Like she wasn't ready at the beginning, right. but then later she was. Like she realized, like, he offered something that I want. And so she's looking for him and, you know, eventually does become a companion. So, you know, there is this sense of like, you know, again, sort of a self-selecting aspect Mm -hmm. to that. Um, But yeah, like being with the doctor just seems to sort of naturally cultivate, Mm -hmm. you know, that. Right. Like there's a, there's a, there, at the very least, there's a latent quality there that can be sort of, 
strengthened with exposure and everything. And I think of like, when you're talking about that in the very first season, when they kind of set up that episode where Adam goes along with them and potentially this is another companion for one episode. And then it comes down to like, I only choose the best and I've got Rose and I don't need you. Like he was the example of like the failed companion of who just complained all the time, who wasn't really not even not only not interested in helping people, but not even interested in learning anything or exploring or feeling any sort of wonder was just sort of interested in how can I, you know, keep myself sort of to myself and even exploit what I see for myself, you know, whereas like, yeah, like that does seem to be the kind of essential companion ingredient is that sort of capacity to feel wonder, I think. Um, but I think it's also as much as it's admirable, there's also, it's slightly problematized too, because, you know, there is that sense of it, that's a more detached doctorish position than the kind of, you know, I'm his carer type sentiment of, you know, I'm, I, I do this because I help you to help people or I help you to, you know, influence you in a certain way or whatever. Um, you know, so I think it's good. Like, I, I, I think they do, I think Claire is quite nuanced. Like, you know, they do a good job of, again, without villainizing her either, you know, letting her be sort of complicated and flawed. And, and it is nice to kind of have that, companion and partner role reversal I think like it makes for a interesting sort of dynamic um we're closer to the end than I thought we would be so I want to um, <laughs> I know I was just looking at that as well <laughs> I just so one of the things I want to hit is I do want to spend at least a minute or two on that sort of you know this isn't necessarily the last scene we're going to get, but I think it's, it's a big, at least one climax of this kind of soldier's theme where you get the, the real angry confrontation between Danny and the doctor and, you know, his calling out, you, you know, Danny's, you know, I think if there's, if there's one scene where Danny doesn't, you know, behave with total selfless nobility, it's that scene, you know, which the doctor's nasty too. So it's sort of, it's not like it's Danny's fault, but it gets kind of, you know, personal and mean and, you know, um, you know, Danny's kind of mocking, like insisting on saying like, you know, saluting him and sir, yes, sir. And all that kind of thing. Um, right. But pointing out the kind of, you know, hypocrisy of the doctor's position too, you know, of, you know, I'm a, I'm a soldier, but he's an officer. Like, you know, he can, it's like Danny can smell the military attitude on him. Like he knows that yep. he, he's protesting a little too much and there's, they have more in common than the doctor would like to admit. And, you know, there's some truth in those kind of statements of, you know, he's the one who does give orders and, you know, cause trouble and boss people around and, you know, the kind of, 
I I save you from burning buildings, but he lights them, you know, um, which is kind of what you said. Like he kind of does go in this episode and in others, he kind of goes around looking for trouble. You know, he's not just the military reserve. He's also like out there causing conflict as well as resolving it, um, you know, and kind of baits the doctor into showing a bit of that side of himself of, of, you know, ordering him out and, you know. Yeah. Well, and the only reason he can bait the doctor is because it's there to bait. Sure. <laughs> like, like that's, you know, that's, which is his whole point. Yeah. It's, um, and again, you know, uh, you know, Danny is smart. So he recognizes before Clara, does, you know, and I think Claire is sort of being willfully, uh, you know, obtuse. I, is it I deliberate? Almost said, <laughs> I, I almost said obtuse, but like, I don't know that obtuse is quite the word. Like, you know, being willfully sort of ignorant uh-huh. of her own, yeah. you know, of 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 what's going on. So it's like, oh, you know, I'll just pop in the TARDIS and you can see how I act in front of the doctor and look right. at me jolly you know whatever and you know this is she has you would think a part of her would know this is gonna backfire right right so um but danny you know he's the realist he he sees what's going on and so he takes off the the invisibility watch and you know so he is quick he he, you know he can react to the doctor and he knows right off like Mm. Like he even said, you know, you can, you, you know, Time Lord. Oh yes, you know, you, you can sort of tell the aristocracy, and you know, so should I salute him? Should I like, you know, and and I mean, I not that I'm like a great like British military historian or anything, but you know, you you do get the sense in reading sort of accounts of military battles that it is the, you know, the lords and the dukes and the whatever who are you know, the ones leading, they're also the captains and mm-hmm. the, you know, admirals and whatever. Um, right. Well, it definitely was a class thing, you know, that, yeah, yeah. that your rank was, you know, probably almost inevitably tied to your, you know, your I class mean, and, and your station. Yeah. And, and however you might just like, I mean, it might be because they just got better education. And so, that's part of it but also they had more money and that's right. part of it like there's there's and just you know, that that privilege and kind of you know assumption that they are the leaders and yeah you know i i think there's you know there's two ways you can look at it. you can say well that's that's unfair but also you can say well just because it's unfair doesn't mean that there weren't good ones out there either you know what sure, I mean? so like, sure. like like they're you know that's not to say that they were necessarily incompetent just because it was privilege but but there's also the sense that, yeah, like there is definitely, there is something here. And so the very, you know, pomposity of calling yourself a time lord, yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, Danny sort of picks up on that and is, is like, well, then clearly like, yes, I might be a soldier, but you're an officer. Like you're even worse than me. Mm-hmm. Not only like, are you sort of the cause of like, you know, deaths and, you know, uh confrontation and that sort of thing but like you're the one who orders it mm. like you're the one who uh brings it about uh not just for yourself but for other people too yeah. and so um there is sort of a a second level 
you know, to that. And, and I think, you know, like, you're right. Like there's um, what you were saying before, just about like, there is this sense of like, obviously, you know, it's a two-sided thing. Like there's, there's the soldier who's the killer, but there's also the soldier who's the peacekeeper. Mm -hmm. Like that's, you know, that's part of the idea and, and the protector and the, you know, defender of, you know, the homeland kind of thing. Like, you know, and, and the, you know, Corps of Engineers, like, you know, he's a mathematician, like, mm -hmm. you know, you don't just become like a soldier necessarily to go kill people. Right. Like, you know, there is a sense where there's there, uh, you know, there, there are whether, you know, regardless of your political beliefs, at least, you know, there is a sense of which, um, you know, in a lot of circumstances, you know, there are soldiers who are out there building things and helping, you know, keep like roads safe for people to travel and that kind of thing. Yeah. So there is, there is definitely a two side or more, mm -hmm. you know, to, to that sort of discussion. Um, and I think that's true in both cases, but you know, in the doctor's case, Clara is seeing one side and sort of in the doctor's case, uh, the doctor seeing, you know, a different side of Danny. Mm -hmm. So like, you're kind of in that confrontation forcing both for, fortunately like everyone to see all sides of everyone yeah. and then like just seeing how that throws it all into the mix um i think the other the opposite side of that discussion then is when danny you know distracts the uh blitzer and <laughs> you know does his like his acrobatic somersault feats, yeah <laughs> um and whatever like you see him acting in the heroic mode that we yeah. haven't seen him right. acting in right. before. And, and more importantly, perhaps Clara sees him in that role and the doctor sees him in that role too. Like it, it becomes, you know, something that like, Oh, this is what the doctor would normally do, but now it's Danny doing mm -hmm. it. And so um, kind of going back to your point, like, you know, of Danny just sort of being, you know, the companion who already has things sort of together. Like mm -hmm. he already knows what to do in the situation. He's not like, you know, Mickey saying, what do I do? Which way do I run? You know, right, like, right. you know, that kind of stuff. Like it's right. It's like definitely... contrast that to Mickey rounding quarters with like a somersault on the ground with his gun when there's like no, you know, jumping around when there are no threats of any kind, you know, like these, these two people cannot be more, opposite each other um yeah yep yeah so um uh sorry go ahead well did do we anything else about the doctor danny and clara any like big... i mean i i feel like we could probably keep talking about them for quite a while probably. but um i i think i think we've hit the main points yeah. so um yeah. I do before before we move on, I do want to go to um I want to talk about the cop real quick. Oh yes. Uh, well, actually, okay, even before that. Oh, okay. My last I guess the last I didn't really have this with them, but I did want to mention uh Adrian and and the doctor's sort of oh, ass yeah. assumption, <laughs> you know. Um I think it's really funny when he sort of assumes that this is, you know, and kind of playing on that he may have kind of stepped back from romantic kind of at least overt romantic uh, aspects of his relationship with Clara, but there is still that kind of lingering affection there. And you get this sort of 
you know, it, it, it's not just that he's happy for Clara that she's with somebody. It's that he's very pleased that it's with somebody like him, you know? So you get right. his sort of nostalgic little misty eyed, like, oh, you two kids go on and, right. you know, go canoodle. go canoodle. And he, you know, the fact that this is a kind of Matt Smith lookalike, you know, um, I think it, it's funny, but it also kind of says something too about what kind of person the doctor would, you know, which is interesting because then your point about Danny kind of being heroic, he is maybe doctor-like in a slightly different way. Like he doesn't have the goofball Matt Smith quality, but he does have a kind of doctorish heroism about him. So maybe he did find, maybe she is finding somebody who shares some qualities with the doctor. Um, mm. Just not necessarily the ones the doctor wanted her to find. Um, right. And then also, uh, you know, the little scenes with, with Courtney too, I think are really good. Um, mm. You know, she's, I, I find her quite funny as well. And I like that they get along because she's a disruptive influence and he's sort of yeah, like, you're yeah. my kind of people, you know? <laughs> Um, now go away. Yeah, now go away. <laughs> and his sign about, it says, keep out. No, it says, go away, humans. You know, this like doesn't even realize <laughs> yeah. that that's what he, he's just sort of like yeah. anti-human. Um, and I like that he does give her, he gives her that ride. You know, as much as he's saying, humans, I'm sick of them. I'll, you know, of course he'll never learn. And here's another curious young lady who he cannot resist, but go try to impress. Um mm. So, you know, and I think to, I think I mentioned that before that this school is supposed to be the same school where the show begins. So you have a kind of featured teenage girl character and then, you know, teachers, you know, so you have the kind of original four piece set of, you know, echoing, you know, where the show began in 1963. Um, yeah. Okay, now the the cop and uh the nether sphere um yeah um and so right we get another instance of someone who dies or we presume dies yeah. uh i mean we see like this is even clearer than maybe other deaths because we see like the smoking hand right like the you know, smoking from, corpse which is left yeah, behind yeah uh from the from the uh blitzer uh -huh. and so uh then we get a resurrection uh sort of happening i guess i mean if you want to call it that or a shift to some other dimension yeah. or something you know going on here um th this one seems more like a psych ward than <laughs> like you know other things i guess but maybe maybe it's just like a different part of the two streams facility because like isn't that where like we saw the garden with the one half robot half man thing right right um was like in that so like like i know there were like sort of sterile parts of that same facility so it could maybe have been something like that mm -hmm. but i don't like i mean we don't really know we call it another sphere but uh he always, he also says it could be you know like heaven or paradise or mm -hmm. you know a number of other names um well and with the kind of white walls too and with this new character that we get, um, yes. whose name is Seb. Um, okay. Now, I, yeah, I don't know. That I don't even know that, that they but... say it, but I'll just say oh, okay. his name is Seb. Um, 
I get a I get a very strong like bureaucratic sense from him more so that like he doesn't he doesn't welcome you in a garden he sort of welcomes you very officiously in a like at a desk you know in a kind of office and uh, there's something python-esque you know about his bureaucracy to me you know that kind of uh i mean part of it's just his delivery like the way he says lines i can imagine john cleese doing this part you know if he were this age you know or if he were kind of this just seems to me like a a, a cleese type role but like you know his lines about his, his sort of politeness and delicacy and how he discusses these sort of sensitive issues of like how did I escape? Well, I'm afraid you really rather didn't. And like, he has to broach the subject very tactfully and like, let it sink in gently that, you know, you kind of didn't survive, you know, and I don't want to freak you out, but you know, just so you know. And so there's something kind of really funny about, I think, like, kind of like a morbid sense of humor about the way that he sort of conducts his business. Um, sure. you know, and the, the little joke about how did I get here? Well, big question, you know, like it's sort of like the biggest question of all, like life and death and, you know, why are we here and what is there after death? If this is the afterlife, you know, um, mm. you know, so sort of kind of hinting at that idea. Um, but I just wanted to mention, cause we get, you know, Missy kind of wanders by but you know we get introduced right. a new sort of uh co-worker for her in this little afterlife so um sure wanted obviously we're gonna see more of them so i wanted to bring them up sure cool well on that note on that note we should probably move on yes to angel yeah so the first thing I wanted to sort of point out before we get into like the nitty gritty of the story and the characters was the kind of structure of the way this episode is built and the way that it sort of teases answers as it goes along. So it's, it's not told exactly in linear order, you know, it's sort of, it, it, it kind of, I guess it's flashback. But it's also kind of just out of order. Like it kind of gives you different pieces of information kind of when you need it sort of thing. Um, you know, mm -hmm. and, and like the way that kind of, you know, obviously like misdirects you, you know, so they, they deliberately lead you to believe certain things that aren't, you know, necessarily true by the end. Once you have the full story, you understand things differently. Um, but also just the way that that kind of like builds the tension, you know, of kind of how far is this, you know, story going to go and what's going to happen to the characters and everything. Um, sure. And the way that it kind of, you know, already it's kind of a dark story anyway, but adding that extra layer of being misled as to what's going on adds like these further elements of, you know, I think, how kind of out of control this episode is going to get. Um, so even just little things like I was, you know, for the first like couple seconds when Wesley's in the 
the kind of interrogation room with his head down, you know, it kind of seems like it's going to be Angel, or at least I thought so, you know, like, you know, he's kind of all in dark, you know, like dark clothes, and you can't see his face, and they're kind of talking about, like, you know, the dangerous guy that, you know, killed people. So it's sort of like your mind goes to Angel, of course, <laughs> or at least mine does, right. of like, right. you know, he's going to get himself in trouble with, you know, uh, the law. So it's sort of a a bit of a shock then to see Wesley in that context as sort of this dan potentially dangerous criminal, you know, who's being like interrogated right. by these cops. Um, but then in the same way, you know, a couple minutes later, we get another misdirection of, you know, you, you hear Wesley talking about it and we see the image of Angel, you know, biting and what looks like killing a person, you know, a mm. woman with blonde hair. So like, there's a bunch of things right, there too. Right. You know, the blonde hair, you know, in the last episode we had with Darla sort of begging Angel to turn her into a vampire, you know, and him saying no. So there could be the kind of blonde hair could lead you in the direction of, is it Darla? Did he like give in and, you know, give her what she wanted? Um, so there's the kind of, you know, there's the fake out of it's actually Kate, it's not Darla. But then also you spend most of the episode thinking that he killed her as well. You know, that it looks like he actually went all the way and is he Angelus? What's going on? So, you know, I just think it's a, for the, for the fact that for several weeks we've been building up to this question of is Angel going to turn is he going to become Angelus? Are they going to turn him bad? Is he going to go nuts? What is he capable of? What is he going to do? I think then that seems like a clever way to go about this episode is seeming to kind of confirm all your worst fears up front. And then, <laughs> and then kind of like, right. then like, no, you find out it's not what you thought, but it's still, it raises those questions. It gets you thinking about those ideas, you know, and at least thinking about, okay, if Angel didn't kill somebody, at least I believe that he's capable of that, you know? Um, and in the end, I mean, we'll, we can talk about the ending later, but even kind of introducing the possibility of, you know, how long will he be able to control it now that he has bitten somebody again? Um, so, yeah, that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> that's a lot of thoughts. Did I just cover the whole episode in like two minutes? Yeah, I mean, basically, <laughs> Good job. we're done. We're done. Well done. All right. I mean, we ran over long on Doctor Who, so that's true. No, uh, yeah, I mean, so the framework, right? So, um, this is this episode. I mean, it almost, I've always thought this episode has a similar uh structure um to out of gas okay. not quite as complicated and right. as involved but but in that like you said there's sort of the interweaving and the there's it's like not quite a frame but it's sort of a jumping back and forth and yeah um you know that sort of thing so um the uh the episode was not written by Tim Minear he wrote the last episode we watched Darla mm -hmm. but uh is it, it was written by Jim Koof who 
we talked we talked about it before. He he had worked with like David Greenwald um, a number of times in like the eighties and nineties and okay. stuff. So you know, like he and he and David Greenwald are good friends. He only he only actually writes three episodes of Angel. Um, the last one he wrote was Five by Five. The you know with Faith. Um, right. You know, okay. la- in in the last season. So. Um, you know, not a lot of stuff, but, but, you know, definitely some good episodes, but yeah, um, you know, just from a writing perspective, I think, I do think it is interesting, um, for a couple of things. One, uh, you're right. Like seeing Wesley as like this, you know, potentially really dangerous, Mm -hmm. uh, dark kind of, uh, you know, almost insane, which we'd learn later why right. he sort of seems that way. Um, you know, right. But you don't know why at first he just seems like no. he's nuts. Yeah. He's right. gone crazy. And, and so, and, and you're absolutely right. We are meant to think that that's angel, you know, in the beginning, like before we, um, even see, you know, who they're talking to or whatever. Like, I mean, just, you know, partly from the verbal dialogue between the cops, but then also sort of the mannerism and their clothing and, you know, um, all of that. So, you know, some good little fake outs going on there. Um, You know, and, and that certainly is shocking. So that that, like, it's, you know, you use the word off putting, this is off putting as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, uh, you know, just to sort of see Wesley in that light, because we're not used to seeing that. Right, um, although I wanted to point out, uh, it's only a couple episodes ago that we had the one where he pretends to be Angel. So it, it's sure. interesting to have a couple, you know, episodes in a row where you are asked to see Wesley in a, you know, speaking of people who sort of grow into levels of competence that they didn't necessarily start with, you know, right. it, it's you kind of realize, you know, Angel isn't necessarily as dangerous, or Wesley isn't necessarily as dangerous as Angel, but we're being invited to see him as potentially, you like, at least capable of, you know, being, you know, more of a kind of threat himself, I guess, you know? Um, Yeah, and we, so I think, I think there's... Like, there's an aspect to it of, like, we, we've seen that Wesley sort of is good under pressure. Yes. And so, like, I still think there's an aspect of that. Yeah. Um, especially in, in Guys Will Be Guys, right? This is this is Wesley sort of pretending to be Angel because he has no other choice, right? Like, yeah. you know, he, he's sort of forced into it. And so, you know, pressure's on. He sort of steps up and performs there as well. Here, there's no pretending going. Yeah. He's himself mm-hmm. being sort of vaguely not not threatening but you know sounds like he might be threatening mm-hmm. and you know sort of um you know talking in this way about like the seriousness of the situation and yeah. you know you know every, sort of everything that's going on um you know both at the beginning and the end. Mm-hmm. Um so so I think that's the difference is like now this is this isn't Wesley. I mean, he's under pressure in so far as like 
he's in an interrogation room and the cops are like asking him questions but yeah you even get the sense that like that doesn't bother him that much right like that he he's not responding to like the threats of the cops because if there's any threat it's this shroud that's like a bigger threat than right. you know any of them are involved with and and he sort of realizes that it can't be there or else it would be too late anyway like mm -hmm. so it, it's all of all of those sorts of things but i think again the main thing is that like this is wesley as himself this is wesley being dark it's not him pretending to be angel yeah to be dark it's not sort of you know the pressure's on so i have to you know pull out a gun and shoot the barrel as it flies toward the demon right, kind right. of thing um it's it's just him in a room in a different way that we than we've ever seen him before yeah. so um i think that's sort of the big thing with him and and sort of the situation and the framework that we're given and also that you know interesting given how dark the framework is mm -hmm. and there are dark moments in the episode kind of how funny there are you know mm -hmm. in parts of it too so you get this like contrasting mm -hmm. you know between wesley being this dark you know portentous mm -hmm. uh you know guy in the beginning and angels sort of you know taking on the personality you know the right. colorful the flashy yeah. uh personality of Jadon. So right. um you know there there is sort of a swap there again, uh -huh. but but it's not like swapping of each other. You know, it's not like one of them pretending to be the other person. Yeah. It it's they're just in completely different situations acting yeah. in ways that that they need they to mirror act, the other, yeah. You know? um, Although there is the one really funny line about from Wesley about like um, it makes people bad. Although it's amazing how good I feel. <laughs> like, right, right. right, he, right. Like there's a, he enjoys his madness a little bit. Um, but that's like when they're in the museum and people are kind of silly. Like definitely there's no humor in like the interrogation scenes. You know, he's totally, that's where he's sure. really pay, playing it totally straight and taking it very seriously and doing the kind of dark broody angel thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. I didn't really want to start with Wesley, but that's okay. So why don't <laughs> I mean, we, we were talking about the framework. We so were. Kinda... So he's kind of the narrator anyway. Like he's the one who's telling you like the story. So that makes sense. Um, and it, like, keeps cutting off of what he's saying. Like, he says, like, oh, Cordelia. And then it, like, flashes back to, like, a scene with him and Cordy. So you're sort of following, you're learning the story as he's narrating it to the cops is sort of, you know, how it goes. Um, sure. But so first I did want to just talk about, like, I guess more the situation and the premise and... um uh, the, the shroud of Ramon itself, um, and it's kind of I'm, I'm uh, the only slight disappointment is that we almost had two heist episodes line up and they didn't quite. Um, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, again we have like you know heist team coming together to break you know something out of a vault and and just like with Doctor Who, you kind of get that classic. Um, 
you know, heist feel of everybody has like a specialty. So it's like, you know, the vampire's there because he can get past like the heat sensors and you have a driver and you have like super strong demons who can carry like a ton box and, and the security guard to sort of let them inside and everything. Um, yeah, although I so you mentioned carrying the box. I do have to point out that they didn't distribute themselves very well because they have like the two humans on one side. <laughs> yeah, and like together, the yeah. super strong demons, yeah. you know, like on the other side. Anyway, yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah. Neither here nor there. Just kind of fun. Right. No wonder Gunn's hands are like about to fall off. Right, um, right. But, and then it, this actually just occurred to me, but there's even the kind of name check of the Rat Pack. Um, you know, that, yeah. that J. Don kind of was a Rat Pack guy and that's why he is the way he is. So there's a kind of reference to like Ocean's Eleven there too of like, you know, yeah, this is yeah, yeah. this is the kind of people who pull off heist jobs, you know. Um, so, you know, for what that's worth. Yeah. Um, I never really thought about it in that light. Actually, that's kind of funny. Which so, I always yeah, forget because obviously I'm more familiar with the remake, but, you know. Right, that is right. kind no, of I, where that concept sort of originated. So, I I wouldn't be at all surprised if that was explicit. Like, yeah, that makes sense. Um. Okay, so you know, and I mean, so I don't know that there's a lot. I, obviously, you know, like these types of episodes, it is more about the main characters, like. I don't even really know that the demons are given names or if they are, they're not really memorable or important. Um, you know, and the security guard, you know, there's not much to him and he gets his head pulled off, you know, so <laughs> right. um, that seems to have been the end of his story. Um, but so I think it's a bit more interesting to talk about like the shroud itself. Um, and, you know, sure. And what it does. Um, I mean, it, its value seems to be purely, it doesn't even, even though it's like a supernatural, magical entity, it seems like its value is purely because of its worth. You know, that these aren't demons who are trying to use it for any sort of demonic purposes. It's that it, it will get them $2 million on the black market. You know, that there's kind of just monetary value to this. Um and maybe they don't even realize how dangerous it is, you know. Um, so, you know, but but it is super dangerous. It's this shroud which uh, is sort of infused with the spirit of a demon and will drive you crazy and homicidal, um, which is not good. Yeah, yeah. There are disastrous um, consequences. Right. So there are... Like the other team members do have names, so like the, oh, the okay. one demon is like Viasa or Viasa or something like that. Um, the security Bob is or the security guard. Security is Bob. Bob. Yeah, <laughs> that should be Bob. his name. Um, so you know, like they're yeah, but like they don't. Yeah, you're right. Like they're just kind of like generic. Yeah. Demon and human names. Um, and yeah, like we never we never do get sort of a full explanation of who or what wants the Shroud of Ramon. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, it like prevents this, uh, 
thing uh, from resurrecting is from what I understand. Mm -hmm. And so like, um, and sort of like absorbs the power of it, which is what makes the other, you know, people and stuff insane. But like, we don't know, like beyond that, we don't know like who sort of the buyer is Mm -hmm. or why they want this. Are they in some way like, um, immune from its effects or Mm -hmm. something like you know like we don't know any of sort of those details Mm -hmm. so it does seem kind of like a weird thing um you know yeah Uh, like i i don't know that like i i don't know at this point like if that matters that much like you know the 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 um you, you know it's the the uh, MacGuffin sort mm-hmm. of of the week, yeah. Um, Which is fine. Way. I mean, I think, I think it's like this the Skovak Blitzer. Like when you have a character centric episode, it, I'm okay with MacGuffins that kind of get the plot, you know, going. You know, um, and as long as we're doing interesting character work, it's okay to me that like we don't necessarily know every detail about like. The monster of the week really um mm. like it i it didn't bother me watching it that we never find out like those details um yeah so um but like i mean clearly the effects of the shroud are very uh important um so why don't we okay I wanted to talk, you know, probably spend the most time with Angel and Gunn because they're the ones who really have to sort of handle it. Um, And we see, like, the most effect on them. Um, So, you know, I kind of already mentioned the kind of fake in the beginning of leading you to think certain things about Angel. Um, But, you know, where it starts with Gunn is this... uh, you know, Cordy and Wesley being so excited that he's on on a case that Gunn brings in this sort of job for Angel to do, and he's actually out doing it, like not just sitting and brooding about Darla, which is apparently all he's done since we've seen him, and is like out actually sort of helping people, which is what he is supposed to be doing. Um, but you still get that sense of slight kind of, uh, you know, kind of arrogance that Angel has had recently of not necessarily trusting his team because, you know, rather than work with Gunn on this, he sort of, you know, Gunn asks for help and then Angel kind of comes in and takes over, you know. Mm-hmm. And maybe with maybe with good motive, maybe to, to protect gun and to, if he just thinks it'll go smoother if he just does it himself. But, you know, you do get that kind of frustration of, you know, gun is, is interested in this because it's his, his, his cousin and this is a family thing and he would feel better if he was involved and knew what was going on and angels really not interested um, in sort of, accommodating that um which he can do now because now that gun's on the payroll you know angel has like this is like the back the backfire of that you know this is 
while right. it's kind of good to treat Gun like a team member and to compensate him for his trouble, there's also a sense now where Angel's like the boss and can tell him what to do and mm. has this sense of not just authority, but like superiority over him a little bit. Um, you know, and what uh, Wesley even points that out too, of like, I would have stopped him, but you can't tell him what to do. He's the boss, you know? So I felt like before, maybe in season one, there was more of a sense of equality in the team. And, mm. you know, I feel like that's changing a bit, you know, that as angels become more and more kind of obsessed with Darla, it, it, it he's kind of asserting his, like, you know, I'm in charge and you have to leave me alone and you have to do what I say and you can't question my choices or my motives and, all those kind of ideas. Um, so I don't know whether you feel like that's fair or not, but you know. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's interesting. So first of all, I want to point out that apparently everybody and their brother have also made the oceans 11 connection. Nice. I, okay, good. I simply <laughs> have not. I just looked up like a few things here and there and apparently I'm the clueless one out. So well done. Um, Good. Well, I just thought of it now. If it's any, I watched the episode twice, but apparently, well, I've seen it way more times <laughs> than that, and like I still didn't make that. No, but uh, yeah, the I would I would agree with you that like you know part of what we're what we're seeing is that this is Angel sort of in Crusader mode, and so where a lot of a lot of the first season was sort of putting a team together kind of like, cause he never sets out to put a team together. Mm -hmm. He just sort of runs into people like, you know, Doyle sort of latches onto him and, yeah. you know, gives him the powers that be stuff. And then like, you know, he runs into Cordy and she right. kind of latches onto him. And then like Wesley appears and Doyle dies. And so Wesley yeah. sort of slips into, you know, the role there. And then you get the gun stuff at the end of the season. Mm -hmm. Like, so maybe putting together a team isn't quite the right way to say that, but like, you know, first season is definitely about the team coming together. But yeah. now, but now this, I, I would agree, like, this is like, okay, we have the team. And now this is like, immediately we're seeing what happens because Angel's not used to having a team. Mm. So like, he's just going off and doing his own thing and sort of being, you know, both having sort of this team that supports him, but at the same time, like he hasn't taken any like leadership classes, you know, <laughs> yeah. he hasn't like, you know, he hasn't learned, he hasn't, he doesn't have like an MBA. He doesn't know how to be a good, you know, sort of executive uh, and, and, right. you know, manage his team. He's kind of doing a lot of on the job training here, yeah, so to speak. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that type of thing, like where he, he just kind of is doing what he wants. What, and it's like, you know, okay, he's paying gun, but only when it's convenient. And when he doesn't want him, he just sort of is like still bossing him around mm -hmm. and telling him not to participate, even though, I mean, technically gun can do whatever he wants if, you know, he's not part of the team. So it's like, he kind of wants to have his blood and drink it too, I guess sure. would be the metaphor there. <laughs> but, um, 
yeah so there's definitely this sense of like and and you know the fact that like Darla is this thing this person from his past mm-hmm. that there's also a sense in which it's like you know I have to kind of deal with it because like nobody really truly understands and maybe he doesn't quite fully understand you know his level of feeling for her and yeah. the impact um now I don't I don't mean to apply that like his level of feeling is like Buffy level of feeling or whatever, but he's already dealt with Buffy. He dealt with her previously. So like now this is like this other ex-girlfriend that he has to deal with. And like, we talked about like for a much longer period of time, like they have way more history and all that. So like makes sense that he's dealing with it. So, I mean, not that like, that's all the subtext and lead up to this episode. Like in this episode, I actually like this episode, even though like you were, like we were saying, like, you know, the Shroud of Remote, like, we're not, it's not going to be, like, you know, six episodes later, it's going to be like, hey, remember that Shroud we stole or whatever? Like, he burned it up. It's done. Sure. It's, like, it's not coming back. Yeah, yeah. You know, as, like, anything. So, like, even though this is very much, like, sort of a standalone episode in that sense, mm-hmm. um, I like sort of how it fits in the lab because you do get, like, those residual moments of, like, um, you know, this, this, tension between him and gun Mm -hmm. and it it coming out like you know the shroud makes people insane Mm -hmm. but like the things that they're fighting about are actually things that they're like sort of lying under the surface so it it's kind of also a truth teller too and and maybe maybe the insanity is that like you would never normally let it get to that level where you're like you right. know have gun pulling out a stake and trying to right kill it's the kind of impulse control whatever. of of right normally we wouldn't try to kill each other but it does seem like they're saying things that they really feel you know that you know it is it, it's 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 not in this insanity in the sense that it's it's random you know and kind of like delusional like it is Gunn saying things that really do bother him, like, you know, like, you know, you, you, vampires, nothing but take, 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 take your blood, take your sister, all that kind of thing. Um, so you get that. He's not just sort of creating problems out of nothing, that these are things that are buried deep and are, that are bothering him, you know, maybe on a on a slightly deeper level. And this is sort of bringing them out you know like normally he wouldn't blame angel for what happened to his sister or normally even if he did he wouldn't like try to kill him over it um Mm -hmm. but uh and so like one thing i want to bring up too is i think it's it's ambiguous and i think kind of maybe deliberately ambiguous in retrospect what is the extent of the effect of the shroud on Angel at all? Um, because you get the kind of, you know, physical things of like the flashing eyes and he kind of goes mm-hmm. vamp for a minute and then comes back. So so you're cued to think that all of this kind of aggression is genuine, that like, you know, he really might have killed Gunn if somebody didn't stop him. You know, and you're led to think that he really does, you know, kill or at least severely injure Kate. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And then in the end, there is the kind of, uh, you know, it, it, it comes back that he at least had some self-control that he, uh, you know, tells that the, the Kate thing is, is just a cover, you know, he says, you know, get down or, or they'll kill you, you know? And, and it's like, the, with the security guard saying, make it look real, you know, now he gets his head pulled off. But like with Kate, right. Angel has to make it look real in order to protect her, you know, and he actually is able to stop himself. Like he, it's not like he gets carried away with biting her. Like it is an act, you know, or at least part of it. Sure. Um, and then in the end, like he's able to kind of say to Gunn, like, trust me, which Gunn does, and he's able to destroy the shroud so that, you know, it goes away. Um, so, you know, that kind of raises the question, like, what, if anything, was, like, real of what we saw Angel do in this episode? You know, like, how much of it was the act or the front or, you know? Um, yeah. Or is it just that, he was able to control himself in the last minute, but it was really sort of almost on the edge there for a little while. And and I kind of, I think it's it's interesting that they leave that open because it, it keeps it open for the future. You know, like mm. it doesn't reassure you, even though it turns out he didn't actually kill anybody, it leaves it open for future episodes of like, that doesn't mean he couldn't or he wouldn't, you know? Um, like it, it, it refuses to kind of like console you too much in the end. Um, sure. And and I think that's true. I mean, obviously, there's the the bit in the end of um, you know, it, that they might have reawakened his bloodlust. So there's that threat of like just the very act of biting her at all. Yeah. You, you know, he's now the junkie who's taken a hit, and all of those, you know addictions are still in there even though he hasn't been using you know um sure. he's still the addict <laughs> even though he's not a user but like even before they add that on i think the fact that you're not quite sure what was him pretending and what was genuinely like insanity um it kind of leaves the character sort of threatening um yeah I don't know. Do you have an opinion of like, is he influenced at all by the shroud? Is it sort of half and half for like, what's your no, read I, on that? My read is that, yeah, that he is um, influenced by the shroud, mm -hmm. but that like, I don't know. Like I would say like, you know, again, like what exactly, effect does the shroud have on people like you know for angel and gun the the insanity seems to be kind of like you said like there's a loss of filter there mm -hmm. like their you know their anger the the things that they're already angry about are sort of drawn to the surface and so they're you know the insane part is you know acting on these sort of urges that you wouldn't normally act on. Um, yeah. You know, without like thoughts of like the consequences. Um, now maybe, 
maybe, you know, as a vampire, he's stronger and can resist that. But then we also see, like, the other vampire who goes around, like, trying to wipe off the fingerprints. But, like, right. you know, like, that's that's a different, um, you know, that's a different sort of thing, I think, than, uh, you know, than we see with Angel. But, like, maybe it's just one of those things of, like, the insanity just affects people differently. We sort sort of see like uh, with Wesley and Cordelia, they become more giddy and sort of, right. you know, Cordy almost becomes more like stoned, like, right, right. you know, looking at her teeth and like, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And like, we don't really see her again. Like, right. <laughs> like she just kind of wanders off. Yeah. Like she's never in any danger or anything. Right. She just kind of goes, wanders off. And then like, you know, the, crowd gets you know destroyed and she comes she, like, back you know yeah, like yeah. yeah like um you know with wesley it's more along the lines of like i'm really giddy and like there's something i'm supposed to be doing but i can't quite remember and you know more like a laughing gas type yeah. you know, thing um so you know it affects them all differently uh you know same with kate like uh you know, her insanity is sort of like the rush in and doesn't wait for backup. And, mm -hmm. you know, again, like she's, she's already sort of a lone, you know, wolf kind yeah. of in her career or whatever. So that's not like completely out of touch with her personality, mm -hmm. but it's like, you know, if she ran across like, you know, four or five people, you'd like to think that she would probably already like call in backup and like, wait, like, you know, if they're in the middle of this heist kind of thing, right. like that her in insanity sort of seems to be that like loss of inhibition as well, similar to yeah. gun and, and angel. So I don't, I don't know that like, we're supposed to think that like insanity in the sense that it seems to be like what, I don't think it's like this, like presence that's like manipulating all of them to do its will kind of thing. Yeah. It's just like, it seems more like it's just like a, like kind of a drug or something that sort of affects everyone sort of a little bit differently. Yeah. And so you don't really know, you know, exactly how it does that, but like they're all to one level or another, but even like, you know, say like, even when you're drunk or whatever, you still like can sort of stop and think and say like, wait a minute, what I'm about to do is really bad. You know, I shouldn't get behind the wheel of my car. Sure. I, I at least remember enough, not to do that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, some people don't always listen to that impulse and that's Or you can you know, kind of bad, kind but, of be aware of it even as you're doing it, you know, of like right. I there's like one part of me which is being critical and then the other part of me that just doesn't care, you know. Um, right. And so like like there is there is a sense where if if you stop and think hard enough or right. you know are aware enough in that particular moment that you can sort of right, which is sort ad of adjust what you're doing, which is sort of where Wesley is. He's aware enough to tell that he is being influenced by something, you know, and so he he's finding it hard to, you know, uh, think clearly. But if he but he's aware that there's something he needs to sort of focus and do, um, right, and. And so I, I would say that's also where Angel is sort of at the end there. It's like, 
like not that he's not affected but like you know when the one demon pulls out the gun you know both him and gun stop fighting like they're at least aware enough to say whoa something yeah you know happened that i need to stop here and you know uh you do get him sort of the flashing of the eyes like that's mm-hmm. sort of like the physical cue of like you know he's possessed yeah. or whatever but like you do get the sense that he can still at least have enough power to sort of overcome it enough to pull himself off of you know Kate and whisper in her ear you know stay down or they'll yeah you know kill you kind of thing so I do think it affects him. Like, I think there's a legitimate thing there. And, and, you know, particularly because we do see the physical effect with the eyes and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but I think I think if we think of it that way, that it's more like like an inebriation or, a, you know, a high of some sort mm-hmm. than, than like, you know, complete control over their mind kind of thing. I think that makes it a little more sensible. Yeah. Yes. Is that... Does that help at all? I think no. I think that's kind of where I was. So I was just curious if if you had sort of interpreted it the same way. Yeah. Um. Okay. So I do want to talk a little bit more um, about Kate as well. Um, and um, so we get her uh, coming to Angel in the beginning, sort of waiting for him outside the hotel. Um, and we kind of get that she's actually looking more for Darla at this point, that um, mm. she's sort of, you know, put it all together, that Darla's not kind of the innocent that she was sort of, you know, seeming to be in the beginning. Um, and, you know, so she's sort of not exactly uh, looking for Angel's help, but she'll certainly use that contact to get to Darla if that kind of will do the job. Um Yeah. Or at least seems to think that like they're in cahoots still in or, contact yeah, or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. Um you know and and Angel kind of telling her for her own good to sort of stay away from this whole situation that this is sort of uh above her pay grade a little bit. Um and you know the interesting line you know, there's the, she kind of has her, you know, very prepared with her cross, but he kind of shows her how sort of useless that is, you know, of, of how easy it is for him to sort of just overpower her and throw it away. And then, you know, mm-hmm. he could kill her right there if he wanted to. Um, and he has the line about, you know, you get between me and Darla, it'll be the last thing you ever do. And again, with the ambiguity, like, is that a warning or is that a threat? You know, like, right. it could kind of be either. Like, is that, you know, you get between me and Darla and she's nuts. So you're going to be in danger because you'll become a casualty in this struggle. Or is it, you know, nobody comes between me and Darla, you know, <laughs> like, right. there's the kind of at least, you know, potentially at least two ways to read that or you know, it at the very least, two ways for Kate to sort of take and interpret that um, of exactly what he might be saying there. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and then we get the the cops, you know, 
again, like you said, she's this sort of lone wolf weirdo who likes the supernatural stuff. So she's sort of known, they have Angel flagged as like a guy that she's interested in following. So when they get the pictures, they kind of know, oh, give this case to Kate. She'll be interested. Um, And she does kind of go in. That is kind of, even when she's not influenced by the shroud i feel like that is a kate thing to kind of run in guns ablazing with really no backup and like she i feel like she does that a lot like you know maybe at this point she's sort of used to it like nobody else really believes me nobody else really cares about these you know weird supernatural cases so i'm just gonna go in and you know there's that kind of like reckless lip recklessness of you know this being personal because of her father and so there's you know there's no time to sort of do the rational thing she's just gonna go in and try to take them down herself right um so just in talking about kate yeah because we're i mean i know we went over on doctor who so we can you know, go over a little bit on here, but just thinking about like, you know, the fact that she, like, where do you see her sort of at the end of the episode? Like what, what, like she, okay, she has her moment of insanity, but you know, she survives and she lets Wesley go. She's been bitten. Yeah. She sort of has her pensive moments there of reflection. Staring out the window. Yeah. Um, what what do you where do you see her at at this point i mean where i see her as sort of maybe reconsidering the way she's been sort of placing all this blame on angel for things that you know weren't necessarily in his control like you know that she has sort of kind of in misreading the situation of how her father died, she's been sort of not understanding the full nuance of his position and his motives. And, you know, not that she should be sort of totally naive and trusting about it, but she's been kind of vilifying his actions more than they deserved. And I kind of read it as the fact that she comes in and, and lets Wesley go. I mean, obviously, it's that's only fair because Wesley didn't do it. So that could be totally unrelated. But I feel like she would at least retain him for, you know, some sort of questioning if she was still sort of like bent against Angel. Um, there seems to be in freeing Wesley, there's some sort of implicit forgiveness maybe or at least reconsidering of angel you know um you know like here's someone she thinks she's labeled the villain and the bad guy and he was able to not only save her life but also do so in a way that could have easily gone really bad you know and he was able to sort of control himself and not go all the way like you know, that level of sort of self-control that that takes. So I kind of read her pensiveness at the end as a kind of 
going over what she knows and maybe reassessing, you know, how she's been interpreting things, which I think is really ironic given that it ends with Angel pensively thinking about how awesome it was to bite her. <laughs> like, or at least that's my interpret. Like, I don't, I don't know that that's what he's thinking, but like it ends with him reflecting on, you know, you know, it's this close up of him, you know, biting and, and drinking her blood, which is Wesley says, like, it's been a really long time since he's done that. And that could be mm. a very dangerous thing for him to indulge himself in. So mm. I kind of read that as like a slightly ironic thing of like, in the act of saving her, he's sort of, you know, maybe complicating that relationship a bit at the same time that she's sort of maybe coming around to understanding him a bit more. So in one way that makes me kind of worried, like she's going to let her guard down at the exact moment when that's most dangerous, you know, like, um, like she kind of should have been trust more trusting than she has been, but maybe now is not the time to just, you know, <laughs> totally trust him. But, uh, I don't know. That's not necessarily a prediction. I just think those two scenes are supposed to be read kind of, you know, ironically against each other. Mm. Okay. So, I mean, you probably can't say because you, it would, well, it would yeah, tell me, you know, sort of what is being sort of set up here. So. I think, I think as far as you know where we're supposed to see Kate at this point, I think you've you've done a pretty good job of identifying. I think where at least the writers want us to be at, whether that's whether that's you know in the place where we're going to be, yeah, you know, in an episode Next or two week, from now yeah, is, yeah. is a different thing. Right, but, right. Um, at this yeah, point, no, I think yeah. I think you know I think definitely that those moments of pensiveness where we see her, it is, you know, her reassessing because we know that angel, although obviously it hurts and, you know, she doesn't want that to happen. He's saving her life. So, you know, there's that. And there's also the, the sense that like she screwed up yeah. and like, if it weren't for angel, you know, she would be dead. So it's not just yeah. like, you know, angel, like Angel didn't put her in danger. Angel didn't yeah. find her in danger. She put herself in danger. And he got her out know, of it. Yeah. Um, thinking that he was doing something illegal. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was, but like, you know, thinking that he was himself like evil about it. Yeah. But, you know, it turns out he was undercover basically. And so, right. you know, deep cover as it were. Right. And so, uh, you know, it, it's, it does sort of give her an opportunity at least to recognize a paradigm shift. Um, you know, how much of that she recognizes and acknowledge we'll, we'll see. But I think the fact that she comes in and tells them to let Wesley go yeah. sort of points us in the direction, yeah. you know, a certain direction. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, um, the, well, we talk, I mean, we kind of talked about the team already and sort of that the idea that, like, you know, this is Angel sort of 
doing his lone wolf thing too. So we have, mm-hmm. you know, both Angel and Kate kind of in their lone wolf things. Mm-hmm. But um, we didn't talk specifically about Courtney and Wesley much. Any other things you want to mention with them? Um, I think I hit most of what I wanted to say. Um, I mean, we get another mention of Wesley going on these dates with Virginia, these fancy you know, parties right. and premieres and Cordy's sort of jealousy of that. Um, yeah. But also that that doesn't mean that Wesley's very good at it. You know, that he spills cocktail sauce all over her right. and they have to come back. So, you know, he's not quite, uh, you know, totally comfortable in that setting yet. Um, but he's enjoying the opportunity, uh, at least for the time being. Um and no, I mean, just their kind of, uh, again, the way that they're sort of being not really appreciated as a team by their boss and kind of trying everything they can think of to get him back to his sort of old self. Um, and, and of course, conclude that they just made things worse in this episode, that they sort of cheerfully sent him off, you know, into like, a complete mess where, you know, he went crazy and, you know, now he's, you know, been in a situation where he's bitten somebody for the first time in how many years and, you know, is, uh, you know, potentially, you know, in a lot of trouble. So that, that, that kind of like, well, we've done a hard day's work and (laughs) let's, let's go to bed before like we do, you know, anything else. Um, so their kind of attempts to make life better for him are, you know, occasionally backfiring. Um, other than that, I don't think I had any other main points. Cool. Yeah, I don't really have much either. Um, so I guess we'll uh, we'll see where all that takes us uh, in a couple of weeks. But before that, we'll be talking about more Buffy and more Doctor Who. All right. See you then.